Welcome to BDO To Go, casual industry conversation brought to you by the restaurant industry professionals at BDO. The constantly evolving landscape of the industry forces operators and owners to adapt quickly and maintain a keen awareness of consumer and economic shifts. Understanding these business impacts and insights is key to the continued success and resilience of the restaurant industry. That's why we crafted our new BDO To Go podcast series, a monthly podcast that you can take to go. Now, here's your host, Jeff Tuba. Welcome back to another episode of the BDO To Go Restaurant Podcast. My name is Jeff Tuba, and I want to thank you for tuning in for another episode. Please take time to subscribe and automatically download our episodes, and please rate our podcast as well. We hope you enjoy the content you can take with you to go. Moderating today's podcast is Dana Zakowski from BDO, and her guest is Annie Fitzsimmons. While our guests to date have been specific to the restaurant industry, we thought we'd take a little different twist this month and talk with Annie, a travel expert and editor who's had the privilege of dining at different restaurants all over the world, so she can provide us with a different point of view. Dana, I'll turn it over to you. Thanks, Jeff. <laughs> Today with us, we have Annie Fitzsimmons, who is a travel expert and a Nat Geo author of a new book coming out soon. And today we are going to talk a little bit different than we have been, where we've been talking about primarily restaurants and the restaurant industry here in the United States. I wanted to have Annie on as someone who travels internationally and domestically to different hotels in different parts of the world to hear about what she's seeing and what she thinks the future looks like in the restaurant and hotel space. So Annie, why don't you introduce yourself? Thank you so much for having me, Dana. I love talking about um, anything travel, anything hotels, and anything restaurants, because of course, when you look at travel, travel's like the umbrella, but then the passion points below that are like food and wine, culture, right? So food is definitely a huge part of what I do. Great. So the first thing I want to do is I always like to start my podcast with talking about how we met each other. And although I can't remember the exact second, I do remember... (laughs) <laughs> saying asking what you do and you told me that your dream was to be a hotel expert and to be on a national morning show and the only person I ever saw get so excited and passionate about talking about what they wanted to do was when Sarah Jessica Parker said she loved to dance <laughs> and, and anyone else who gets the reference is probably about 40 something years old and a girl anyway so here we go. Now you're there. You're traveling the world, hotels. We know the last year's just been a nightmare. And as we're starting to open up, hopefully, tell me a little bit about what you see and how you see the different countries opening up their hotel restaurant programs. Yeah. I mean, I mean, at first, as you know, I think the the number one thing is that in hospitality, we're in the midst of a massive hospitality staffing crisis. Um, I mean, one of the biggest luxury hotels in Scotland still has like 200 vacancies, right? So that's kind of what we're dealing with right now. And we're also dealing with the fact that governments now kind of routinely use travel bans and closures and quarantines and testing, but there's no consistency at all, right? So, you know, while I hope that these, this crisis kind of leads to higher wages for, you know, like I always tip housekeeping extremely well, I don't know that it will. And I I think we'll be in this crisis for the next year or two staffing wise. Um, Have you seen, and again, staffing is a great start, but we, so we're seeing it a lot also domestically in restaurants. 
Have you seen anywhere that's having a better reaction to the staffing crisis or any creative solutions or anyone who's not having this problem? There's no one that's not having the problem, but there are people who are basically throwing money at the problem and offering, you know, a thousand dollar signing bonuses. I know a lot of hotels, luxury hotels in the U.S. that are doing that. Um, but, you know, at the same time, I just went to this meeting with Ritz Carlton and Marriott and, you know, the search for luxury hotels is at the highest it's ever been since 2006. So people want to go, right? But they just have to solve the problem of how to hire and keep people. And I do think when the government start to get together and say, you know what, we have to have some sort of consistent reaction across the board, people will feel more comfortable working in hospitality again because they don't think that they're going to lose their jobs. Yes, absolutely. It is crazy. Are the are Marriott, Ritz-Carlton, or any of the other brands doing anything besides the dollar solution, like giving a bonus? There's the bonus. There's also, you know, lifestyle solutions, which is you get more time off. You know, some people there's in hospitality and hotels, there's a lot of seasonal workers, right? They might work in Lake Como during the summer and then move to the Swiss mountain resorts in the winter. And some places are giving them guaranteed work, right? For both seasons. Oh, that's Um, a great idea. Yeah. And then also, you know, some places in Italy that would close normally in September, October, the big trend in travel right now is staying open longer, right? Like even through the end after New Year's, closing only for two months rather than five months. Um, So that, again, gives them that guarantee of more work. Oh, that's actually a great idea. So you said that the search for luxury travel is higher than it's ever been since 2006. Do you think that for Marriott? Yeah. Do you think that's because people have just been... trapped for a year and a half and they just want to go? Yeah. I also think that people at a certain level of travel have saved a lot of money this year. Um, You know, obviously it's been devastating and a big hard part of my job the past couple of years has been talking to people who can't feed their families. You know, in Africa, one job at a hotel supports 15 people, right? And South Africa, for example, is still closed, which doesn't make any sense because this new variant is everywhere. But anyways, yes, We're talking about closures. And again, most of the people listening to this are probably domestic in the U.S. So we know that people are traveling around the world where they can, when they can. And we spoke earlier about you did a trip in the U.K. and people got in on a Monday and the rules changed on a Tuesday. So you don't know what it's going to be. With some of the companies you work with in the United States, are are you seeing that the travel is up there, too? Just yeah, I mean, actually in domestic travel. Domestic travel is the hottest thing still right now. I mean, there's resorts that had better years and in Mexico as well, that the U.S. and Mexico that had better years than they've ever had because it was the only place that people could get to. So, I mean, Florida, every hotel there would probably be like, what pandemic? Right? I mean, they're making more money than anyone. And I think that's definitely there. This is a tale of, you know, two sides or a hundred sides, the pandemic. Right. But, you know, if you're a luxury hotel in Florida, you're doing quite well. Um, at one point it was cheaper to go to Italy, like the, you know, the, these dude ranches or resorts in the U S and the Western U S were charging $3,000 a night, but you could go to Italy and get $500 a night at a hotel would normally be much more. So, yeah, I mean, domestically travel is, has been back for a lot longer and we're going to continue to see that. Right. And I think what's been good for the restaurant space related to that is some of these cities that people might not have gone to as much before are getting much more attention. So it's not just Chicago, Los Angeles, Miami. It's now these next level cities like Nashville and like even Cleveland and some of these Charlotte type places. And as the big hotel brands go, then 
they're seeing there's an obviously an uptick in travel. So the hotel goes and then the restaurants follow. When you travel, how has it gotten easier or harder to find things that are a little bit different and regionalized? Or have you started to see where the world is becoming like a mall? Homogenized. It's funny. I have a collection. Whenever I give a speech, I show my collection of footlocker photos because I see a footlocker everywhere I go. I mean, it's just like the symbol of it, right? I mean, there's certain H&M, whatever it is, but I have my footlocker photo collection. Um, But no, I think people want, they don't want to go to a city and go to the same places, right? And so I do my research and my Google mapping and talking to friends and researching. And I have, it is harder to find places, but at the same time, it's really worth it. So I think making that effort to find that family run pizza place, you know, is, you know, makes all the difference in your trip and in your memories. And how, so you talk to friends and how else for the people listening who want to attract that person, what else do you do? to help find what those places are? Or when you're writing, how do you talk about it? So I think, I mean, word of mouth is the best. I also use the hotels as a resource where I stay. So the concierge usually, and I tell them, I'm like, no, no, no. Like, where do you actually go? I just did this when I was in Edinburgh. Um, and they tell me, you know, they tell me, you know, this is where I go. And I, and I think that's using people as a resource, using social media as a resource, screenshotting things that you see and saving it for later, you know, reading the travel magazines, but like all of, not just one, right. Like reading all over. And I think that's part of the fun of planning a trip, right? I mean, you don't want to just show up. I mean, you, you have to leave room for serendipity. I say, so if you have a list and you have reservations and you have everything great, you can always cancel them if something comes up, right. right. That you find that's better. So just organize yourself, research it, get excited, and then leave room for the magic to happen. And don't worry if you have to cancel what you've done. So. Okay. Yeah. I love that. And, yeah. and walk. And walk. Oh my God. A day where I walk 24,000 steps is the best kind of day. And I will say too, I mean, a big thing in hotels, um, and I don't know if you're seeing it more on the you know restaurant industry side, but you know, hotels that offer these healthy menus are really doing better as well because people you know, after the pandemic and we all gained 20 pounds and they want to be not only, you know, physically well, they want to be mentally well. And so hotels that are offering, you know, green juices along with a pan chocolate or like the Lanesboro in London, they have the best spa menu where you can design your dish and you have, you know, salmon or halloumi and then you add the vegetables. And I think those kinds of offerings are really popular and people are choosing to stay places where they can get that kind of food. Right. No, it's always either really healthy or just the perception of health is always the question of what's more important. Exactly. We're we're constantly on the quest for, right. If I have the green juice, is it okay to have the extra ice cream? Yes. I think people want both, right? It's like the high and low of fashion, Chanel and H&M or whatever. I mean, you want your green juice and you want your pasta. Right. Exactly. So Annie, tell me a little bit about what you just did. So this Nat Geo book, so much fun, so cool. And if we're going to be traveling and staying places, we want to, the same way we want to find that local restaurant, we also want to find something a little more local with a hotel. So tell me a little bit about what you're doing and how you found what you're, the hotels that you featured. So, yeah. So I was one of the original travel bloggers, I guess, back in 2009 and 10. And I started a blog called Hotel Bell, um, which I like cringe now. But yeah. So basically, that kind of led, I worked for National Geographic for many years as their urban insider, traveling the world and reporting on cities and culture. But I always was obsessed with hotels and not just, you know, your your plunge pool and your butler, not those kind of traps of a luxury hotel, but the way that a hotel fits into the community and supports the community around it. So I think that was a big part of my pitch because the best hotels in the world, number one, allow outsiders, quote unquote, to come in 
to like enjoy the breakfast if they can't afford to stay there. Right. I love. Um, and then they also support hiring local people in the community. And so those, those are not just hotels and these fancy places that you go and you feel this cocoon of comfort, but they really are life changing. Um, so yeah, so the book is hotels of a lifetime and it, it actually comes out I have to, I have about a year and a half to write and research it. And it comes out in 2024, which I'm glad because COVID um, is going to make travel a little bit harder in the next couple of years. But yeah, I've always been obsessed with hotels. And the more I talk to people, I realize how obsessed they are as well. Anyone who has a great restaurant somewhere that's a little bit special and a little bit more personalized to the city they're in, make sure to let me and Annie know because you never know, it might end up on the pages or a blog or something fun like that. Exactly. Because I mean, hotel restaurants have vastly improved over the years, but no one wants to just stay in the hotel, right? They want to go outside the hotel and find um, a little local place. So yeah, I mean, restaurants are such an integral part of a hotel stay. Right. End of your travel experience. So Addie, we're obviously talking a lot about travel and we're talking about where you go and some of your favorite places and why they are your favorites. So for example, why don't you talk a little bit about one of your favorite restaurants, pick one and why you like it. And let's go from there. So let's, I guess I I left New York three years ago and I moved to London. So my current favorite restaurant in London is this place called Parlor and Kensal Rise. And I think it's like a larger story about just finding places that are not on every single list and, you know, not in every single magazine. I mean, I'm in the media, but just finding places that like aren't written about all over the place, I think is a really something I really look for. So this restaurant, it's family owned. It's this guy, he calls it like a restaurant and a childcare center because they're very kid friendly and a, and, you know, a great date spot and a coffee place and a club. And like, it's just that like neighborhood center where you go and you get really, really good food. Um, so I'm always looking for places like that. Um, like in Brooklyn, there's this place called Sociale, which is now on Court Street, which used to be in Brooklyn Heights. And it's that same kind of vibe. Like you can go any time of day, get a great meal, and you just love the people you're with. Um, right. It's like I, the place you walk into and you get, it feels like someone's hugging you when you walk in the door. Exactly. Exactly. And people just want to be taken care of when they're like spending their hard-earned money and going out. So, and so you, again, you travel extensively. Someone calls you and says, okay, Annie, I'm going to XYZ city and in Colorado, and you've never been there. What are some of the things that you tell people and for the restaurant owners listening that they could do or that make them differentiate themselves so that when someone does look them up or how are you telling people to find some of these places? I think I'm a little obsessed. I mean, I have Google maps for different destinations all over the world. And every time I read a story anywhere or a friend posted on Instagram, I add that place to my Google map. But if you're not as obsessive as that, I mean, something I do is read, like if you're going to Denver. So what I would do is I would look up the local magazine or newspaper in Denver, and I would look up local interviews with people. And they always have sections where they're like, what's your favorite restaurant? And I always, I always look for those, you know, and I, and that's where I kind of start. Um, but I also think, you know, there's famous dishes that people love, right? So there's like, so for example, in LA, La Scala and Beverly Hills, um, there's, they're apparently the originators of the chop salad, right? So the chop salad is now everywhere in the country. You can really get a chop salad. I will say not really in London, but, um, I mean, so that's like, you know, it's this, like, it's not even this fancy place. It's Beverly Hills, but it's like, you go and you just, you know, Chop salad is so amazing. There's salami and mozzarella and like oh, cucumbers. And it's just this delicious. It tastes like an Italian sub without the bread. 
And so finding dishes like that, that are famous and kind of seeking those out, I think, which of course, if you're on Instagram, I mean, there's always famous dishes that you're, um, that you're seeing. So I think that finding local people, their favorite restaurant, people who live there, and then also kind of looking at these famous dishes. Uh, And I think one of the fun things about the famous dishes and how our culture has changed a little bit is taking those dishes and bringing them into your house, right? So we have the Food Network and we have a million other cooking shows and YouTube and TikTok and every every restaurant now has a cookbook. So also, are there certain like brand extensions that you think have been ultra helpful, like whether it's someone like a genre getting into different hotel chains or... I mean, talk a little bit about brand extensions and bringing that meal back into your house. Yeah. I mean, Judge George is a great example because he has so many hotel restaurants now, but I always like, I know that I can always get a great crispy pizza or a kale salad, right? Like, so he has a restaurant now, La Mamunia, which in, in Marrakesh, which under, went under a big renovation. And so I know that if I go there, I can get that like Judge George food that I love. But also, as you said, making it at home, like Ja George makes this incredible like squash and ricotta toast. Have you had it at ABC? I ha- it's delicious at ABCV right down the block. Yeah. Yes. That's, I mean, that's your free plug, Jean George. <laughs> exactly. It's so, so good. And I have like, I even froze a little. It's, there's a, I have a frozen, some of it in my freezer right now. But anyways, it's like finding those dishes that you can bring home, especially when you can't get to those restaurants. Um is, is, is makes people feel like they're more connected to you as a restaurant owner or as a restaurant. It just makes them, you, them bring you and bring you into their home. Right. And again, between that and being able to cook it and now with the CPG products and everything that you can get all over the world, it makes the world a little bit smaller, but also get you to be able to try flavors that you might not have been able to try. So then when you do go to these places, it works. Um, any other major trends? I know one of them that we've spoken about before, having been a vegetarian for so long, we do talk about some trends. And I know meatless and here in New York, I know it's on the list of things we spoke about. 11 Madison Park has gone meatless. I know I was just at a conference this week where a very large brand, when they were asked if they are going to have a meatless item, they said absolutely not because their customer doesn't want it. Yeah. Um, again, someone in the fast food world is going to be very different than a fine dining. Have you been seeing that as a global trend? Or are you seeing that more as a macro, a micro or a macro trend, really? The meatless think, and sustainability. I think it's global at a certain level, right? And I think the number one thing is people don't want to be forced to do anything, right? So like my dad, if I told him like, I'm going to, you're only going to eat, you know, salads this week and vegetables, he'd be like, you, you know, you can't get out of here, right? So right. I think that's the, the way that I love thinking about it is Jenny Rosenstrock, um, Dinner Love Story. She wrote this cookbook recently called The Weekday Vegetarians. It became an instant bestseller. And I just love the name. And she's saying, hey, you know, don't give up your meat. You can still have it on the weekends or whenever. Right. But like, here's a way of eating where you're eating less meat. And some people want to do that. Some people are not, not there yet. Um, but I also think another, another trend is, um, you know, I want to eat my almonds and I want to eat my granola, but I also want to eat my pasta and my burger. Like I want to eat my green juice and I want to eat my pana chocolate. So there is this like yin and yang, right? And I think there's more, people tend to go one way or the other. Like you're going to eat the, you're going to pig out on this and then you're going to have your green juice. But for me and for, you know, what I'm seeing in the trends is that people want both. Right. Right. And I think Jessica Seinfeld also, right. She did vegan at times and there are times where it just works. And then there are times when you're just really want a bacon cheeseburger. So exactly. (laughs) 
I Although tonight I'm making a giada, you know, De Laurentiis has a recipe for beyond bolognese. So I'm going to make that tonight, which is that beyond meat uh -huh. uh, and a bolognese sauce. So we'll see. Yeah, I can't wait to see the picture on Instagram. Yeah. <laughs> make sure to post it. And I know you well enough to know that you like a good French fry and a slice of pizza just as much as the rest of us. So how hard is it when you're traveling for work or for business or for writing to be able to stop and separate Annie Fitzsimmons, travel writer, and Annie Fitzsimmons, the low-key, fun, easygoing traveler. Yeah, I think it's, I always talk about that, like it's my travel writer life versus my real life, like, and I'm so lucky to go to these places and understand, you know, travel in the industry in a certain level, but it's, it's my real life, which means that there's been a lot of times where I've stayed at fancy hotels and they're like, come have, you know, this five-star seven course meal. And I'm like, I'm going to throw up. Like, I don't want to eat that. So right. I'll go to the grocery store and buy a yogurt and a granola, or I'll go to some little restaurant down the street where I can get a salad and like a little starter pasta portion. Right. So I think, and that just makes me feel more at home. I want to feel at home as much as I want to feel cocooned in a beautiful hotel. And I think a lot of people feel that way too. And you can go into these fancy hotels and not stay and still have an amazing experience and just go to the bar. I went to the Connaught bar here in London the other night, which was voted one of the top bars in the world. And then I went home, right? I think there is a way to, to dive into that, whether you live in, you know, Omaha, Nebraska, which is a city I love, by the way, like there's a great, you find that best hotel in town and go there and have a drink. Or if you live in Miami or wherever you are in the world, you can find you can dip into it without making it your whole life. So that's what I try to do. I just have a balance. Okay. No, I think that that's super important. And I have a feeling that a lot of those smaller places not in the hotel are going to end up in a, more of your stories than the ones that are those seven course meals. Exactly. Right. Who needs that? I mean, people, there's too, too much food. <laughs> right. Starter portions for dinner is going to be people the name just of that. Less, right? I mean, that's, we've talked about that too, but people just want to eat less. They want to eat delicious food and less of it. So they don't feel bad. Yes, I agree. Well, yeah. perfect. Thank you. Well, Annie, I love talking to you. I hate that we're an ocean away because it was so much easier when you lived right down the block, but that's okay. And everyone else, thank you so much Wait, for listening. So Dana, sorry. Oh, sorry. You said, I mean, I have to tell you the night that we met, we also met John Mayer, which you did. I know. I wasn't <laughs> sure if that was our first night. So that's it what I'm going to say. But yes, <laughs> In a hotel lobby, dancing. The Soho Grand. <laughs> right. So, yes, yeah. it all goes back to fun, dancing, and a hotel lobby. And so, everyone, thank you so much for listening. Thank you for listening to BDO To Go. Past episodes and related insights are available at bdo.com slash bdo to go. Or you can go to iTunes or Spotify to rate, review, share, or subscribe to this podcast. The views expressed by our guests do not necessarily reflect the views of BDO. For more information on BDO's restaurant industry practice and the resources we provide, visit www.bdo.com slash restaurants.